Nations, welcome to it. Greetings to you all. I pray you well. This is when Highbury was home. A loud boot podcast presentation. It's a show from an Arsenal fan who misses the good old days when when Highbury was home and the Arsenal were pretty darn good too, you know. So uh, this is our little preview show. Something we should have done yesterday and got it out, but due to some technical difficulties, we struggled to do that, and we just felt, you know, rather than forsake it, better late than never. So, yeah, um, it's Arsenal playing away against Vienna in Austria at the Allianz Stadion tonight. Uh, is it, what is it? 6.55 Central African time. So, it's a game coming off of a pretty tough game, you know, and it's an easier game, and it's not actually as easy as it looks on paper. That may sound like a lot, but it's what it really is. You know, it's it's an opportunity for the team to redeem themselves, for the team to, to put back a little bit more of that hope within within the dressing room of, you know, we have a lot of battles to fight, you know, and sometimes you will lose you will lose the battle to win the war and you need to be conscious of what your war is, right? So our war is in a sense top four minimum expectations and a cup. And the Europa League is a perfect opportunity for us to win a title, especially a Europe- European title where we've fallen short in European finals before. And this was previous and more recent history, you know. So Having been to the final two seasons ago and then get knocked out in the in the first knockout stage, part of me last season was a tough blow in a sense because the team was already underperforming, you know. So it was one of those things we felt like we were regressing at the t- as a team where at the very least we got into a final. Now we should be able to get to a final or at least win this competition. And if we're good enough as we thought we were last season, we probably should have gotten to the later stages of the of the knockout of the knockout stage, right? Now, this season, I feel we have enough players within the squad where we know what our overall goal is. Yes, it's top four, and it's top four with a caveat. Like, top four, rather, is the caveat. I want to see more development and growth within the structure and organization and in, in what we're trying to do. Like, I want to see Mikael stamp his footprint on that team. I want to see the, the team stamp their footprint within, the, within the, the, the global fraternity of football, say, hey, this is who we are becoming, and this is what you need to watch out for because we're on the way, right? And a game like this is almost ideal for that because you can have that mixture of maybe more inexperienced players or players who are on the fringes or players who are on the cusp of that first-team breakthrough, playing with first-team players who are maybe on the outskirts of the first-team looking in. And it puts pressure on your first-team as it looks to your everyday match 11 for a league fixture, you know. And I think that's something we really need. We need we've always needed competition for places within the squad where sometimes you are quote unquote resting a player where they're fully fit and ready to go, yet I wanna see somebody else in that position. And that somebody else can actually give me so much value for money that I might play that person in another more important fixture down the line, especially if you are underperforming as the player who was on the outside looking in when it comes to that fixture when I was resting players, right? So a game like this is ideal because we're basically going with what we have. You know, we have a couple of little slight injury knocks going into the game of players who I thought maybe could have used this run. Some of them I thought maybe could just be key to have more continuity with them in the team. And now we're going to have to unlock maybe some new partnerships, maybe even unlock some new structures. For me, ideally, I would have loved to see a 4-2-3-1 again in this game. In the preview, we didn't go with that because more often than not, Miguel is not going to play that formation until the squad is ready for it in a sense, right? And the, and, and I just don't feel the squad is there. And you can see that he doesn't feel the squad is there. You know, I, I personally feel it's worth taking the gamble on it because the, the return is so great when we have an extra attacking player within that midfield. So going into this game, that's how we viewed it. 
um it's literally bare bones or bare minimums we don't have too much rotation that we can do unless we put in some under 23 players you know because Ceballos has a slight knock William has a slight knock Mario and Martinelli are out Chambers is out still Reese Nielsen and Rob Holden coming to this game got some slight knocks where you thought maybe they would have featured as well and it puts us in a position where we're going to have to get creative with how we, we put the team out and it also limits a few places where you were probably looking to do rotation. I mean, as I was looking for my, as I was looking rather at my suggested team for the game, and I thought even formation-wise, why it makes it so hard is that you you definitely can't go four two three one and play a backup goalkeeper because now I needed that defensive solidity and that defensive cover for someone who maybe doesn't have that match experience. So you probably have to play Leno, and if you're playing with the squad and everybody else was in front of Leno, the personnel and the fit you probably still have to go for you know, three centre-backs. So that's how we approach this and say, you know, Arteta can get creative in how maybe he, he makes changes during the game, especially as the team grows in ascendancy when you get an early goal or a second before half-time. You can bring off especially key players who are defensive players and actually rest them and then bring on an attacking player who's a young player and switch up the formation. And let's see what that gives, especially with personnel who don't play regularly because they'll play maybe more. They might give you more dynamism. They might give you more of a different look in that position compared to a guy who plays regularly, who only knows a certain way to play this position in a sense, right? Now you have a guy who's wanted to impress, who's drifting into certain spaces, making themselves more available for certain passes, and all in all just being more, more ingenious in how the ball is used, which would allow you to unlock more patterns of play within the squad as well. So our our pick our picks for 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 the squad for the squad this this game is gonna be a four two or what is it a three five two. Um, we have Bird Leno and goal as we said because I still feel Runa Runison I don't think is ready and it would be unfair to him to play Matt Macy ahead of him in a game like this especially when you figure that Runison was signed as a second as a second goalkeeper as a your backup goalkeeper rather Matt Macy was told that maybe we're gonna look for a loan or we don't see you as a backup goalkeeper in number two maybe a backup goalkeeper in the number three position in that regard on the depth chart so I think it's best to start Leno especially with his form being so up and down I feel you know where there's small moments in games with the Liverpool, the, the Liverpool game and then the Man City game I mean parrying shots and, and, and not holding on to the ball is starting to cost him a bit where you need maybe a couple games that he has that commanding performance so even if he concedes a goal it's a commanding performance where he can get himself a solid eight and get his confidence up. It'll be better yet to see him get a clean sheet under his belt, right? So I think it's one of those games where you play your number one and you let him play himself back into form and you go with a more enforced backline that is also some continuity with guys he's played with at the very least at the very least so that he knows how to at least play around them in that in that in that regard. So we have Cedric Suarez at right wing back thinking you're gonna have to rest your, your full back in Ainsley or rather in in Hector and Hector does deserve a break because looking at his play in the last couple of games is he's given so much to the team and continues to give so much to the team that you're gonna you're gonna have to get to a place where you know you have to do something I don't want to use a term like Spurs but it's Spursian in regards to what they did when they had a couple of good fullbacks within their squad right where they allowed themselves to rotate what was going on in there and then allow those players to get rest in the European games that the other players play in the Premier League games and it allows continuity, it also allows for competition for places, right? Because now everybody's more concerned about what their job is. And I know okay, if, if you're coming off the bench in the league games, you can still put maximum effort. If you're starting in the cup games, you can put maximum effort as well. 
So I think Suarez is in that position where you probably should play him more for European games and the cup games and allow that continuity in that positioning where he also gives you flexibility if you need to switch him over to the left side or fullback during the game. Next to him, we went for Shkodan Mustafi because he's coming back from injury, playing him in a back three, I think would allow him to do maybe just a little bit less movement. And it's a player where if he's on the books at the very least until January, we need to get some production from him. We don't have too many fit centre-backs right now. And I'm of the mind where I would personally would have preferred to play a youth centre-back ahead of a Mustafi, play somebody who would, would potentially be here seven months from now against somebody who was not right. Yet you also at that place where you, you kind of do need to win this game and you don't want to put pressure on a young player to come in and make that mistake like that. I personally would have gone for a Saliba in this because I felt in a squad like this, there's enough protection all around to allow him to play well. Yet, I saw him play for the under-23s, and I just felt, I mean, you can see what Miguel's talking about, a great talent, yet he still, his mind is not maybe caught up to where his body is, especially in a league like this, where he's drifting out of place. You know, he's he's caught he's one-on-one -on, -one on the right fullback position. It's like, okay, now you're going to have to make a tackle and win the ball, or you're going to have to jockey the player out of position to the point where maybe they run out of space and play a ball away and make sure that pass doesn't lead to that player beating you into the space that you've left open. And the funny thing about that is, yes, he was looking out of position. Like, a better player could take advantage of that, yet he never felt, he never felt susceptible to lunging into the tackle like we've seen in Mustafi or Luis do, which I complimented him for that first thing as I watched it. His usage of the ball is still very good as well, I think, for a young player, still 19. His heading ability is also there where I felt, for me, it's Mustafi in this list, but I would love to see Saliba get a start, especially next to a David Luiz in the central of the centre-backs and Gabriel next to him. For Davi Louie, I feel it's one of those things where he's going to be here at least until the end of the season. And you need to get as every little ounce you can get out of him, especially when it comes to helping with the integration of Gabriel and that backline switching to a, a three or four, depending on the situation and the fit, because he can play left side or he can play right side of the two centre-backs. And I still feel as well that with the continuity that Luis can speak a, a degree of French where Gabriel, Luis, and Saliba can still communicate holistically. And that will help, you know, because Luis and, and Gabriel can speak Portuguese and then Luis can still relate the message in French. And there's more relatability around, relatability around there. Having Ainsley at left fullback, I feel, allows us a thing where, okay, I, I mean, we add Gabriel. The Gabriel is there for me where I feel he needs to start starting more games, especially if you're going to be moving around between the sweep of the centre-backs and the left side of centre-backs. So I think he needs to get more games with less precise situations playing as the left side of centre-back, especially if my is not going to be fit long-term and you're looking for maybe Gabriel to play left centre-back more than you probably envisioned him doing in, a, in an ideal situation going forward. And you also get to see what you have in the play. Do you have a better sweeper defender or do you have a better cover defender? Do you have a better stopper defender, you know? It's always good to see what you have at the end of the day. Ainsley gives us so much versatility that I would love to see him start in a game like this, especially after the England call-up, because you need to start getting him as many games as possible. I'm also a big fan of getting as many British kids into that team as possible every single game, especially in the in the games where you're resting, guys, because it's a it's a it's a good indicator of where the team is going progression-wise, where you can have a solid team and still be able to have players that came through your academy playing in that team. And it's also one of those things where it's also a good marketer for you. It's a marketing tool in a sense, how we viewed it. When we for me, when I play football manager, I always think like, okay, the algorithm will pick up that I'm I'm favoring more British kids, so they'll give me more in the academy. And then there'll be kids in the academy that even though my catchment area is, is very competitive and I'm in London and I'm dealing with four or five other bigger clubs, 
I'm still getting the the top of the range young talent at 14, 15, 16, right? Then you start to realize, oh, it's worth investing in 18, 19, 21-year-old guys in your first team knowing that my youth team will be strengthened as a result of that and I'm not having to spend on that talent. And I think that's what Ainsley and Saka and Willock and Emil Smith-Rowe and all these and all these other talents that we have, Reese Nielsen, Aiden Ketia, like there's a lot of talent within the squad where I feel it's time to start pushing those kids into into more prime positions. And I like how Mikael has, has opted to do that. Um, so Ainsley starts for me at left fullback because of that, because I think Tierney, after the Man City game, we saw that he needed a rest, and we also made we also alluded to the fact that Tierney needed a rest because he looked rather gassed, you know, and it would be nice. I mean, I didn't even want to have him in the team, but we saw at bare minimum right now, and it's a, it's, it's a must-win game in all intents and purposes. You don't want to be disrespectful to the opposition because they are a good side. So you have Ainsley at left fullback, I would love to see Thomas Partey time start in central midfield because the impact he had when he came on against Man City was undeniable. You could feel the energy change within the team. You could feel the energy change within the fan base. You know, you know, like like little football Twitter was also going a buzz. Like you could feel the current of of what he provides the team and the energy. And and he doesn't like to lose. You know what I'm saying? And I need guys like that within a game like this where, if it has to go, Lord forbid, to a two-one situation, I need a guy there who's the whole way pushing and he's happy to win 2-1. Some guys are only happy when we win 4-0. It's like, nah, every win matters. It doesn't matter how they come. And Partey is one of those where we can improve next game, yet let's win this game so we can have hope going into next game and have something to actually improve upon that can make us a better squad, right? I'd like to see him starting in the deeper of the two midfielders, I think, to see what he can offer us there in a game like this where it's less pressure. If the midfielders, if the opposition midfielders are running onto us, then we still have him there with somebody who can also help them defend, and the defenders will be there as well, the three centre-backs. So I'm looking to start more Joe Willock, where you're saying Partey's passing range is pretty good, and defensively is also so sound that playing Willock next to him will allow Willock to do a lot more of what Party is more in the squad to do, right, that whole box-to-box role. And I think Willock is such a great player when it comes to that. A lot of people have been talking about how he's so reminiscent of Aaron Ramsey when towards the end of Ramsey's career at Arsenal where he could bomb forward and get you those goals in those last three seasons. You know, and he could just be present in those moments outside the box, inside the box, at the edge of the box. And and that presence in the team, because we don't get too many goals from midfield as a squad, right? So to be able to get goals from midfield, from a young midfielder who comes from the squad is from the academy of the squad, rather. That's clutch for us, you know? So I'd like to see him get more games because I still feel like it's one of those where when I first saw him play, I was so unsure of his game, yet there was output. And of all our young kids at the time, it was like I could see Saka's potential just by looking at him in a few glimpses, right? I could see Ainsley, for me personally, at about 17. I saw I'm like, this kid is, he's got so much athleticism about him that there's something there, right? Willock doesn't necessarily exude a lot. Like even Eddie, like you were just hearing about the numbers and the goals. Balugan, like all these kids, there's something about them expect to us. And most Smith throw the moment he was signed, they're telling you, like, oh my goodness, this kid can do this, can do that. And you're like, okay, I can see where this is supposed to go. With Willock, I couldn't see where it was supposed to be. I'm like, is he a central midfielder? He doesn't seem to have enough energy for me about him as a central midfielder. Is he a defensive central midfielder or is he an attacking central midfielder? He doesn't seem to have too much physicality about him as a defensive guy or mentality about him as a defensive guy. It doesn't seem to have too much flair about him as an offensive guy. That's when you realize that he's almost in between those and he's perfect at that because he knows himself at that. Defensively, he can be present in the position. Maybe doesn't have the necessary tools to do everything defensively, yet he'll be present enough in the situation constantly enough to avert the danger. 
offensively doesn't have the world's greatest finishing ability, yet his positioning allows him to appear to have a nose for goal because of the numbers, right? Because in those positions, when he actually does have a nose for goal and a nose for space and he starts to have an awareness of what's going on around him, eventually he can be a decoy and make a dummy run or lay off a pass, right? So he's going to improve so much in that position where I think he's going to have a lot of bottom. When you look at them, I think there's the three brothers, right? And for him, he's there's, there's one who's more defensive-minded, I think, than him and one who's far more offensive-minded than him. And it seems that he took the middle of that of the Willock brothers, right? And it's so dope to see and more light to him and more progression to him because... He's a young player, I feel, that we can unearth so much value for money out of long-term because he's a guy that you can have as a squad player but also have as a starting player. For me, he reminds me so much of Ray Parlow where he's just a, an energy guy. He's a feel guy where if Partey brings that spirit, then Willock is, is, the, is the charge to that spirit. You know what I'm saying? It's the fuel to that spirit in his own sense, in his own way, in his own play, in his own demeanor. And I like that within the squad. On the, on the right side, kind of cutting inside on his left foot, I would love to see Saka get a game because I've seen him so much at left full back, left wing back, cutting into that midfield where we haven't seen him as much in his natural position. And in an ideal world, I would have loved to see him get his England call up as a right winger instead of a left full back, right? Because it was one of those things where you felt like if Bukayo was going to play for Nigeria, he would have played on the right wing and Iwobi would have been on the left wing. He would have got that preference, I feel, where Nigeria would only play him as a left wing back if there's a better player than him in that position. England aren't giving him that concession right now where Raheem is a better player than him on the on the left side at an attacking position. But on the right side, I don't see a better player than Bukayo right now for England. Like, honestly speaking. And so it's one of those things where I know going forward they may look to do that, but I feel Arsenal needs to be the one that instigates that for him, especially if we're saying we're conscious of the kid's development and we want to treat him a certain way and accordingly. If he's not, if he's not going to play more of a central midfield role, a la David Alaba, <laughs> pun intended, then Saka needs to play for me on that right wing, especially in a game like this where Pepe played during the week, not his best performance, yet he put in a shift. Uh, for me, I wouldn't play him this game knowing Pepe needs to start the next league game so I can see if I can get consistency. If it's not working for you, will you still try in a game that is not Man City away, right? Saka, for me, I know will give me a performance in Vienna away, and he's the kid that, for me, could come in with a goal and an assist and win you a free kick or a penalty, right? So I vibe with that fully. On the left side, it was tough because I thought, you can't stop Pierre-Emerick in a game like this for me personally because you're putting so much mileage on a mandem there where he should be playing more centrally anyways. If you're going to play him in a game like this, you should play him centrally. You can't play him out wide on the left in a game like this because all you're doing is you're prolonging the inevitable that he's going to be out here and not get as many chances and eventually it's going to start to impact how not only he views himself and the team but how the team is viewing him. Because there's subtle things that are happening now and you're picking up on that where he's going through a run of form where he's not scoring as frequently. And you're seeing how the team is not positioning or he's not being positioned to get the most out of him per se. So it's like, hey, there's an impasse here and something has to happen where either you position him in better spaces or he's going to grow growingly disgruntled on that left wing and you're going to have a guy where as he gets older it's like I don't want to play central because now I'm okay here at least I know what to do here and I must go learn how to play central again now nah, I'd rather do it now where he's more inclined to listen and say you know what I'm not scoring as much as I was scoring last season because they figured out how to play me when I'm on the wing let me play centrally because centrally I can drop I can drop deeper and I can still drop to the wing positions when my inverted forwards drift in and cut inside right so 
for me, I'm going to put Obo on the bench because of that. Where I'd like to give him maybe a 30-minute run out as a center forward in a game like this with nothing on the line and I'm winning the game and just put him on for, hey, go out there and just pick pockets of space and break, 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 play, play outside of the system for a bit and let's see what comes for you so that we can see maybe new things within the system that we can do for you, right? So I would start a kid like Emile Smith-Rowe on the left side because uh, Reese Nielsen and Martinelli would be my options for that if William wouldn't start, right? And they are unavailable. So the trio being unavailable creates a great opening for Emile Smith-Rowe who's, he's been bewildered by so many injuries that it's a perfect opportunity for him, you know? It's like preparation leading to the moment of opportunity. That's luck for him because he can really stake a claim that would maybe make Arteta think, you know what, let me go with this thing of luck down, of, of over down the middle because I have enough firepower on the wings. At worst, if I have to play Pepe and Saka and then I have over down the middle, I still have that dynamism, I still have that creativity. Yes, I'll have two left footers out there, yet I can add Sabalo centrally in midfield and Partey next to him and I have... I still have that in force. I still have that creativity as well. So Emil Smith-Rowe is key for me in this game because I feel Arteta needs to also start showing us a bit more of what he was thinking when he was thinking of adding a war to this team, right? Because Hussein Awar is very much a more polished version of what Emil Smith-Rowe is, is right now, where he's a creative midfielder, right-footed, who can play centrally, yet can play wide left and can play even as a false nine in a sense, right? And I want to see what Mikael envisioned in that because you could have ideally probably spent 50 mil on a guy that was going to play or, or Ceballos plays ahead of him. He wasn't going to play with Ceballos as we envisioned in our ideal teams as we're, driving, as we're drawing it up in preseason, right? So Emil Smith throws a play that Mikael is also rumored to like a lot. And I personally like him a lot because personally I may, I may sound very like fancy in this. I'm a fanboy in it, but I want to see a British kid from our academy who's an attacking midfielder make it through because Jack didn't for me, you know, and, and it still hurts me. It's still, a, it's still a bitter taste in my mouth where Dan Crowley, when he was signed as a kid, I was so excited for, and Emil Smith was just one of those where, and I, pri I like the fact that Arsenal prides himself on that of having players of African heritage come through the ranks, yet it's nice to see one of their own and a, and a Caucasian little kid come through as well, right, who's actually talented of that level. So. Emil Smith Rowe has a lot of riding on him, and I like him personally as a player. What he adds, it's so it's so un-British like in that sense, especially of that mode of you expect a player like that to be more Thomas Cleverly than Andres Iniesta, and he leans more to the latter than to the former, and I like that because that's so Arsenal. So I'd like to see him get a run out in a game like this, and one player who I think deserves to get a run out because it just hasn't fallen for him. Where last season was so terrible for Lacazette, right, that it was the perfect time to move on from him, knowing that he's not as bad as last season. So you'll maybe take a hit financially, yet the player will be in a better situation wherever he goes, because he'll be able to pick up form, get his goals, and set as a chance to revive his career in that sense, right? Going forward, literally as forwards go, Aubameyang is our better option as centre forward than Lacazette is, just for the longevity of the team. We paid into Aubameyang. He is more of a natural goal scorer than Lacazette is. And the team is designing, is, is more positioned to play the way we play with Aubameyang than we do with Lacazette. Where we love Lacazette for his hold-up play and his ability to, to, to counter-press up, up front, yet we need to be able to score that, that one chance when we get that one chance in a game. 
and Laka doesn't afford us that way. When he's on form, Laka will score you a brace every two, three, four games, whatever the case is. He'll get his goals when he can, and his numbers will look good end of the season. Yet you look at the games when he didn't score and what the result was, and you look at the chances that he did get in those games that he didn't score, where we didn't get a positive result, and you say, you know what? Nah, we deserve to do a lot better in that position. So this is the type of game where I think we need to start playing him to not only rebuild his confidence and his value for however long we're going to have him in the squad, if he's here until the end of the season, if he's here until just January, let's rebuild his value so that when we sell on him, we sell high on him. And you know we know he can catch on. So if he catches a goal or two in a game like this, that's so key for the squad, right? So I have Lacazette start, starting at nine with the bench of Runa Runison in goal, Hector Bellerin, Kiriantini, Mohamed Elneny, Nicola Pepe, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and Florun Balugan on the bench. Um, I feel that's a strong team, all things considered. We've put together enough of, of a firepower and a defensive mixture as well as players who are on the fringes with something to prove, plus some first-team players who could use another opportunity to gel with those who are around them. So all in all, yeah, I think that's a solid squad going into the game. We're predicting a 3-0 win for Arsenal because we're being optimistic. That's how we do. Uh, Saka, Laka and Balogun coming off the bench to brag himself his debut goal, I believe. That would be in my ideal situation. I think it's there for us knowing we can come into the start of the game with that mixture of party and Willock in midfield. And then as we get that 2-0 lead by half time, in an ideal world, you can bring off a Mustafi or Saliba if you started him. Or even bring off Gabriel, you know, and rest him and go to a 4 throw on an extra striker in, in Baluga and say, you know what, here's a chance for you, boy, to show us something. And I think you'll get rewarded that way because fortune favors the brave, right? Yeah. <laughs> so this is going to be an interesting game for us as a team. I pray y'all enjoy it. We'll be live tweeting on our on our Twitter handle. That's when Hybrid was home. Podcast. That's WHWH Podcast. It's a Labu podcast presentation. Please follow us on all social media platforms. Rate and review us where you consume your digital media content. Send us your, your questions. Send us your, your critiques. Send us your comments. Send us your contributions. All, all things are welcome because all things are used for our betterment and our glory and our growth. So that's how that goes. Uh, we're praying for a positive result for the Arsenal, man, because we could really use this trophy. We could really use a couple more wins under our belt to to keep boosting that momentum and that morale within the squad, you know. Um, yeah, man, I pray y'all enjoy the game. We'll link up probably after the game tomorrow just to do a little quick recap and then start to look forward to the weekend's games, you know. So, I mean, it turns around that quickly. We play, what, Thursday, Friday, Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday type vibes and Thursday, Mondays in them sometimes. So we'll make it through, man. We'll make it do what it do because that's the situation we're in. We put ourselves in the situation by not performing better last season. So that's what it's going to be. We're up against a pretty good team. For me, Arsenal, they, they have the form going into it as an away team because we're unbeaten in our last six away Europa League games. Yet, we know how that goes. Form goes out the window in certain games where it's, it's a COVID away game in Austria. You know, there's a lot, there's a lot there that you're thinking, hey, I it could it, on a Thursday night, you know what I'm saying? So it's like, all right, cool. You just pray that there's a there's a good energy within the team and a good morale within the dressing room to go get it done. And yeah, man, Vienna aren't gonna be no no mugs, no walkover. You know, they've won eight out of nine of their last you know European games as well at home. So it's literally the battle of one of those one of those great runs of form must fall. You know, so either we lose our our unbeaten away 
Europa League run or they get another loss at home that they, they have only had one of, you know, so it's not another loss, you know, it's, it's for them, it's like, damn, I cool. We know how to rebuild from that. So it's going to be a tough game for the Arsenal, man. I pray we I pray we on ours. I pray we on key. I pray Mikel has those boys keyed up. And I pray we enjoyed it as a fan base, you know, looking forward to the weekend that we'll do tomorrow, you know. Have a blessed one. Thank you for joining us. This has been When Highbury Was Home, a Loud Boot Podcast presentation. God bless you, yeah. See you.